All right, we are back. Uh, we must say that the, the coverage about this whole controversy of the Sacramento Kings, which Cosmo was, was remarking on, um, you know, they basically get a pretty good press. The Kings do. The, the Maloof brothers do. The, the NBA does. But can anybody else out there think of any other major city in America where the local basketball team sent their mayor out to participate in the NBA draft? Yeah, the basketball team sends the mayor out. Not to imply, of course, there's any, like, <laughs> pro-basketball franchise bias going on locally and among our politicians. And we've openly speculated uh, on this program that something is afoot with the bullet train, that uh, there are powers that be that don't want to see one, we suspect. But, you know, even we are impressed by, uh, by this headline in the Sacramento Bee from last Thursday. Rail firm has Holocaust tie. Article by Michael Doyle from McClatchy.com notes that uh, a French firm that may want a piece of California's high-speed rail project could face costly and embarrassing lawsuits from Holocaust survivors under a bill now trying to gain steam on Capitol Hill. The article notes this bill would expose the government-owned rail giant SNCF to lawsuits from victims transported aboard its trains to World War II concentration camps. Now, does anyone besides myself suspect a bit of political chicanery going on here? Article quotes Representative Howard Berman, Democrat of Los Angeles, saying, yeah, there are complications. The answer is for the rail company and the French government to confront the issue and get past them. In a related story, uh, California's passed a budget with no bullet train money. Well, I guess if you want to just place a really giant straw and suck all the water out of the Delta, they seem to find plenty of funds for that. But moving people from the Bay Area to Los Angeles, which is the world's most congested uh, air corridor, or at least the busiest air corridor, congested may not be quite the right word. We've asked before, and we'll ask again, how is it that California, purportedly the fifth richest economy in the world, just simply could not manage to pull off such a feat when they have them in France, Germany, China, and how many other places? When we checked Wikipedia, it turns out the Russians have high-speed rail. They had the Germans come in and voila, high-speed rail. Can it really be that hard? Rather negative opinion piece by Tony Bizjack in the Sacramento Bee last month noted that, oh, there's just all these, where would we put the station? There's all these problems in the business plan. It's going to be too expensive, yada, yada, yada. And at the end of the piece, he noted, and if a sports and entertainment arena is built, there just isn't room. Well, maybe that's another reason to send the Sacramento Kings to Anaheim. And in a uh, somewhat related story about screwing up mass transport, we have the following. Headline of article, Beverly Hills officials fear subway would hurt school, comma, put kids at risk. Yes, I can't think of a greater danger to America's youth than subways. You know, we traveled down to Los Angeles to Beverly Hills specifically to speak with the mayor, Robert Tannenbaum, uh, some years back for this program. Mr. Tannenbaum is no longer the mayor, but we're going to have to go down there and maybe... See what he knows about this. Article notes that Mark Fabiani, who was deputy mayor and chief of staff to former Mayor Tom Bradley in L.A., said that uh, they had envisioned a subway that would link downtown Los Angeles with the Pacific Coast, a line benefiting one of the world's great metropolitan areas, but it never happened. 
A local congressman pushed through a tunneling ban in 1986 because of fears that construction could cause an explosion of naturally occurring methane gas. A move some viewed as a thinly disguised maneuver to safeguard Tony Westside neighborhoods from outsiders. The city ended up with a subway that's invisible to many of its 4 million residents. It's about 20 miles overall in a city covering 468 square miles. I must say, when this correspondent was down uh, to interview Norman Lloyd in, in Hollywood a few months ago, I was sort of startled to discover, hey, there's a subway station. You mean to tell me L.A. has a subway? Who knew? Did you know, Mr. McMillan? I did not. Well, apparently it's got one. Now, if they could just extend it to where it was functional, we might have something. That would be too much of a danger to the kids. <laughs> you know, I'd hate to see them lose a whole school worth of kids to a natural gas explosion. All right, and speaking of rich jerks in Los Angeles, and how's that for a segue? We have the following from Tony Barboza, L.A. Times reprinted in the B. Title of, <laughs> title of article, Phony Signs Thwart Beachgoers. The article shows Pat Vessart, an enforcement supervisor with the California Coastal Commission, patrolling roads near beaches looking for fake no-parking signs. The article describes him walking around seeing a metal sign propped up against a chain-link fence at Latigo Drive whose faded red lettering screams, No parking at any time. Tow away. Or one near Corral Canyon Road that declares, No parking, entire block. That was on the top of a shaky wooden pole, which is a tip-off that could be fake, according to the article. Vessart noted, that's an illegal sign, pointing to another one and along the highway, hugging more than 20 miles of the nation's most uh, desired coastline. They're probably illegal, he adds, his tone veering into aggravation as he points to still more. Why shouldn't someone be able to park there? article notes that in beach towns like Malibu, where wealthy homeowners have gone to great lengths to block visitors from the majestic shoreline with security guards and locked gates, the toughest thing about spending a day in the sand can be finding a parking spot. And at times, it's the bogus no-parking sign that stands in the way. article notes the warnings are so prevalent and so convincing that parking next to a fake sign can get you a real ticket. And even when residents are told to take their signs down, they quickly come back. Messer noted that anybody can go down to Home Depot and buy a no-parking sign and, and a four-foot wooden post, and it's difficult to tell which ones are legitimate. I would think the parking authorities would know by now, however, wouldn't you? But we should note, in fairness, and, and Radio Parallax does strive to be fair, this is not a, uh, a phenomenon confined to Southern California. Apparently in the Pleasure Point area in Santa Cruz, there are dozens of fake no-parking signs, being that it is a world-renowned destination for surfers. Apparently a group of Santa Cruz homeowners is accused of painting stripes and private parking on the end of their beachfront street and putting out boulders to ward off visitors. Puzzling article. It notes that some of these signs look so professional that only weeks of research will reveal whether they're legitimate, and I'm sure a lot of surfers are spending weeks uh, on the research, right? Although in reading this article, we have to confess being amused by one sign cited, which said, no parking except for Bob, described as being posted in front of a white stucco house with blue trim on Broad Beach Road. And the article quoted a woman who identified herself as Bob's wife, saying the sign is part protest and part joke. 
And speaking of wonderful little twists in articles, <laughs> there's a follow-up on that piece we mentioned in last week's program about the Chrysler minivan in San Jose that apparently had half a million dollars worth of cocaine stashed inside the frame. Apparently the San Jose psychologist who bought the pristine condition 2008 van last year from Thrifty Car Sales in Santa Clara noted to the press that he's now terrified that a drug cartel still may be gunning for the van. The part I like best is the quote in this little follow-up article on it where uh, the psychologist said, people make jokes. Oh, you should have sold the cocaine. But honestly, he said, I've never been so scared in my life even when I was mugged in New York. Speaking of that, we're going to take a whack at New York in a minute. Stay tuned. But in the meantime, I think we mentioned this program know, a couple months back. We were listening to uh, another radio show. Um, might have been Michael Krasny's forum on KQED. I, I believe it was, in fact. They had a spokesman on the show for uh, Pacific Industries who was complaining bitterly about a Sacramento Bee article, which was kind of down on clear-cutting. And I got to say, taking the pro-clear-cutting position and doing it convincingly seems like it would take some doing, but this guy was good. So I don't know whether it was the same person. Daniel Tomacheski has uh, the person putting a uh, uh, an uh, an op-ed piece in uh, in the B last Sunday, but good Lord, it must have been. And this piece does warn a bit of, of quoting, I think. Mr. Tomacheski was described as the Vice President of Resources for Sierra Pacific Industries. He was responding to the November 20th Viewpoints article, Sierra Pacific's Clear Cuts Impoverished Forests, Economy. Here's one part I like. Broader studies have shown that California management practices reduce the risk of catastrophic wildfires that dump thousands of tons of greenhouse gas pollution into the atmosphere, which impacts across nations. That is an environmental benefit that casual observers can't see when they look at a recently cut patch of forest. Well, I suppose if you cut the trees down, they can't burn and release CO2. But uh, I don't know. I remember in the ninth grade having a discussion on clear-cutting practices, and it was seemed to be um, generally recognized by all that it, it was not such an environmentally friendly method of harvesting trees. We do it not for environmental benefits, ladies and gentlemen, but because it's cheaper. Like Mr. Tomaszewski says in the article, the debate over cutting trees has raged for generations, often without facts to back up either side. To which we would hasten to add, but often with facts to back up one side. Of course, that article generated quite a few responses from readers who wrote, wrote to the B. I think we'll quote from a few of those. Sanders Lamont, writing from Camp Connolly in the Sierra, said, For generations, many timber companies understood that selective timber harvesting was best for them and the land around them. They made a profit and were good neighbors, too. Today, most companies operating on national forest lands acknowledge that clear-cutting is a blight that destroys Sierra Nevada habitat and is slowly killing the tourist industry that supports hundreds of small communities. Writing from Lincoln, Bruce Castle said, Catherine Evett is right on in what she says about Sierra Pacific Industries' destruction of the forest. People need only to look at satellite views of the Sierra, fly over it in an airplane, or visit clear cuts on the ground to realize the extent of this deforestation. Of course, a man like Bruce Bostick was uh, on the same, uh, same page as the editorialist. 
saying that Sierra Pacific has received permission to clear-cut 250,000 acres in the last 10 years. That's 25,000 acres per year, whereas in 2008, 1.4 million acres burned. That would be 56 million acres of trees lost to fire over the next 40 years. Managing by fire is not management. Well, interestingly, an article in New Scientist magazine about bark beetles, which apparently are devastating uh, northern forests around the world, does point out that at least part of the problem seems to be uh, the control of fires, um, that if uh, a forest fire rages through an area, it tends to kill off the bark beetles. And when you uh, prevent forest fires, you're going to, you know, help infested trees um, spread the bark beetles and the diseases they bring with them and just the sheer destruction they produce to other locations. Yes, it's not good to get overly emotional about these things, perhaps. It's not... uh, Good to ever oversimplify things, but uh, holy mackerel. Hard for me to buy that clear cuts help keep our forests healthy. That's all. And speaking of points we ain't buying, we have the following. Article in New York Times by Louise Story and Gretchen Morganson. <laughs> Headline, former bank exec blames his regulator. Notes the article. In the whodunit of the financial crisis, Wall Street executives have pointed the blame at all kinds of parties. Consumers who lied on their mortgage applications, investors who demanded access to risky mortgage bonds, and policymakers who kept interest rates low and failed to predict a housing market collapse. But a new defense has been mounted by a bank executive. My regulator told me to do it. This unusual rationale is presented by the bank executive in one of the few fraud suits brought against mortgage banking executives in the aftermath of the financial crisis. The one filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission against Michael W. Perry, former chief executive of IndyMac Bank Corp. After being accused of fraud and misleading investors about his company's financial health just before it collapsed, Perry set up a website this fall to defend himself. In a document on the site, He said that a top official at the Federal Office of Thrift Supervision, IndyMac's overseer, directed and approved an action related to the SEC's allegations. It was OTS that had the final say regarding IndyMac Bank's capital levels, Perry wrote. He went on to say that Daryl Dokow, former regional director for the Western region of the agency and a financial regulator for more than 30 years, had specifically directed Perry to backdate IndyMac's report to regulators to include an $18 million cash infusion that would make it appear well capitalized. The shift not only masked IndyMac's problems for any investors trying to assess its soundness, but also allowed it to continue attracting large deposits crucial to its operations. <laughs> the worst part about this, he's probably telling the truth. I think regulators should be in quotation marks. And we'd also like to thank uh, listener Stephen for directing us to the following, something which hit, uh, hit the news on uh, Monday, article on Bloomberg.com. Notes that the Federal Reserve and the big banks fought for more than two years to keep details of the largest bailout in U.S. history a secret. Now the rest of the world can see what it was missing. The article goes on. The Fed didn't tell anyone which banks were in trouble so deep they required a combined $1.2 trillion on December 5, 2005, their single neediest day. Bankers didn't mention that they took tens of billions of dollars in emergency loans at the same time they were assuring investors their firms were healthy. And no one calculated until now that banks reaped an estimated $13 billion of income 
by taking advantage of the Fed's below market rates. I love the next paragraph. Saved by the bailout, bankers lobbied against government regulations. A job made easier by the Fed, which never disclosed the details of the rescue, to lawmakers, even as Congress doled out more money and debated new rules aimed at preventing the next collapse. It's a long piece. I printed it up at 11 pages and frankly don't have time to read uh, much more of it, but I would suggest that you do, dear listener. Does quote Alabama Senator Richard Shelby, described as the top Republican on the Senate Banking Committee, as saying, I believe the Fed should have independence in conducting highly technical monetary policy, but when they're putting taxpayer resources at risk, we need transparency and accountability. Why, yes we do, Senator Shelby. Why don't you and the rest of the Senate see what you can do about that? All right, we talked earlier about lawyers sometimes being the good guys, kind of a... Kind of a smack-you-in-the-forehead article in New Scientist, November 12th issue, editorial piece saying, Litigation may be the only way to stop climate change under the headline, Send for the Lawyers. Article notes that evidence that links climate change to the deaths of tens of thousands of people and billions of dollars in damage would concentrate minds, but it might be a game-changer in other ways. In the absence of a global deal by governments, private litigants may take up cudgels, just as people with cancer led the charge against tobacco companies. So the victims of climate disasters might assail big oil and big coal, provided their claims rest on sound science. They note that as long ago as 2005, Miles Allen of the University of Oxford told new scientists that the legal route would have more impact on climate change than governments, saying, quote, just the possibility of legal action would have a big effect in boardrooms, unquote. Of course, in this, as in most things, the devil will be in the details. Uh, Can you claim that uh, Hurricane Katrina striking New Orleans did more damage because of global warming? Can you claim that the heat wave that killed so many people in Russia in 2010 is related to global warming? Article in the magazine talks about uh, two studies which took a closer look at the Russian heat wave where temperatures up to, uh, to 11 degrees centigrade above average triggered huge fires and peat bogs and killed an estimated 56,000 people. Apparently, the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration looked at the weather data from West Russia going back to the 1880s and the atmospheric conditions in place in 2010 to conclude that the record-breaking temperatures were mainly due to natural variability. The immediate cause was a stationary high-pressure system. But in a study published in October, the uh, Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research in Germany found that there was an 80% chance the temperature record would not have occurred without climate change. So uh, maybe a little bit premature to say send in the lawyers, but, you know, there may be something in that. Let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Plenty more. Stick around. I was gambling in Havana. I took a little risk. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this. <laughs> 